Hola, I'm Elias Torres, co-founder and CTO of Drift. You are listening to the American Dream Podcast. Did you know that Drift is part of just 2% of VC-backed startups led by Latin American founders? Well, I'm on a mission to change that. On this show, you will hear from leaders who have achieved their own version of the American Dream. We'll talk about what the process looked like to get there, the obstacles they faced along the way, and the work we still have to do to build the new face of a diverse corporate America. Bienvenidos a todos to another episode of the American Dream Podcast. Today's guest is Yasmin Cruz Ferrin. How do you say it? Yes. Ferrin. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Today's guest, she's working to achieve a mission very close to my heart, which is to make the next generation of Silicon Valley millionaires look different than what it looks like today. Jasmine is the co-founder and general partner of Visible Hands, a venture capital firm with a 14-week virtual first accelerator on a mission to highlight and invest in the limitless potential of Overlook founders. I'm one of the Overlook founders. Thank you so much for what you're doing. So welcome to the show. It's an honor to have you. You are a bright, shiny star here in Boston. You were in the, in the globe, right? Yes. A few times. (laughs) And a few times. Yeah. I love the attention that you're getting. You deserve it. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Let's start. There's so much to talk about. And you you were hitting me a little bit earlier with some incredible stats, right? But let's hear about you, a little bit about your background, where you grew up, where you're from. Elias, I'm so glad to be with you. I am slightly nervous because I've been waiting for this moment for our paths to cross, and here it is. But thank you. It's an honor and a privilege to be in conversation with you and hopefully more in community with you moving forward. So the easiest answer, as you've alluded to on where I'm from, is I'm from Boston, born and raised, very proud of that. But then it gets a little bit less straightforward on the heritage side. So much of my own experience is a duality. I'm African-American and I'm also Salvadorenia. On the African-American, you know, native-born side, it's, you know, my biological father wasn't in my life, but I was also raised by a stepfather along with my mother. And then on that side, on the El Salvadorian side, It's a classic immigrant story. It's a story of family separation and reunification. My abuelita came to this country in 1968. My mother, though, came nine years later. So they were apart for some time. And when my grandmother came here, she started out as a nanny. And then interestingly enough, moved over into tech operations and was an early person in the Blue Cross Blue Shields IT department in tech. But ultimately, some of the decisions that my family made on that side, I think had some, you know, generational, psychological and emotional trauma on some of the negative side. But on the positive side, it's led to a life of extraordinary opportunity and access for me. So from a professional standpoint, I started out in investments and my career has been 95% in investments. I was managing a $700 million portfolio on the public equity small cap value side with one other portfolio manager straight out of college, which was kind of a path of being one of the only 
women of color in the room in my field from that point on, and then moved over to community investment side. I'm old enough to see more than a bull run. I saw the Great Recession and what happened to our fund performance during that cycle, and then what led after that. And then after that, I entered the rarefied air world of managing money for multiple generations of families. And I worked at a firm that managed money for, you know, up to five generations and also managed money for endowments and foundations. And there I worked on strategic planning for the firm and business development. And that really opened my eyes to some of the what goes behind some of these top decile access. Access is really hard in some of these top performing venture capital funds. And then from there, this opportunity came around to start a fund with Daniel Achimpong and Justin King. Wow. You got me like, you're saying you're nervous to interview me. I'm nervous of interviewing you. I'm just like, I'm like the goosebumps I have. You have no idea, like the close to tears, like to hear you. I'm from Nicaragua, right? So salvadoreña, pupusas, you know, <laughs> I know everything. El encurtido. Where my right? We are. <laughs> You're like, yeah, my grandmother came in 75, right? She was a nanny in San Francisco. My first visit to San Francisco was walking Divisadero Street yes. in this beautiful neighborhood, you know? And, and I'm like, and we walked and we stayed with my mother in the basement of this house. That's where she had a bedroom. You know what I mean? Yeah. We lived in the house of these people. Wow, the slope of that street, I was on that street two weeks ago, is insane. I can't imagine the basement of that street. My grandmother was a nanny to 11 children with a woman in a wheelchair in Milton, Massachusetts. And my grandmother doesn't even like children enough to be the nanny for someone with 11 children. She was, my wife was a nanny of one. And so look at that, right? And my mother and I did not come until 1993. So like the separation, unification, and, and wow, wow. It is a pleasure. It is an honor to have you. Let's talk about Visible Hands, period. Like, okay. uh, so what is Visible Hands? What are you doing? Yeah, so we are a venture capital firm with an accelerator program. And maybe why don't I start with how we started Visible Hands? Yeah. So it's an interesting story from a timing perspective. My two partners in October of 2019 were thinking about starting a social networking company that tackled loneliness. And like we try to tell, you know, how we talk to our founders about doing our inadequate customer discovery process. They then pivoted to this starting either an accelerator, a studio, or a venture capital firm. And their why was incredible, incredibly powerful. We know that there's something structurally wrong, as you alluded to, when 70% of the U.S. is women and people of color, and yet they only receive 10% of venture capital funding. But that's not just a problem, that's also an opportunity. So we see an enormous missed market opportunity, and we wanted to be a part of catalyzing that change. And instead on relying on unseen market forces or the invisible hand, we decided to take matters into our own hands. And it was in the February, March time of 2020 
that Justin and Daniel said to me after I had been on both sides of the table from a capital perspective, should they raise this fund? And I said, the why is too important to look for exactly the right moment in time to do this. Do it now. And then they invited me to join. And I started helping with capital raising and then I took it over. And on January 15th, we're closing this first fund, fund one. Congrats. Congrats. Thank you. I've never raised a fund, so it's really hard. And and I wonder, like, you know, what I've decided to do is it's the reason why we started this podcast is to be a voice and to be able to talk about the issues that other people don't want to talk about, right? Or they're afraid to talk about because, especially if you're Latino or Black, you're like, you feel that there will be a repercussion, right? And you're saying, like, oh, I'm not going to get promoted. I could get fired. I could not get the projects. I might not be able to raise money. And and I'm here and I'm just like, I don't give a shit. I'll, I'll talk about anything and bring up the problems that we're having to the front and center of the conversation. Why is it that it's so difficult for you to raise? What do you think? Is it because you designate your fund as one focus on investing in overlooked, underrepresented people? Or is it because of you, your color, your founders? What do you think? Or is it something else? Or is it because, yeah. Yeah. So there's a few layers that we can talk about. One is that there are fund managers who do not decide to have a diversity mandate. And some of them have said that they're able to raise more money. Because when people see that you're doing something that's going to create access to capital, we talk in impact investing terms. And when people hear about impact investing, people don't think that they're going to have outsized returns, right? And ultimately, people's motivation for making an investment is for putting yourself and your family at an advantage to have more assets. And so fundamentally, people are worried that about capital preservation, let alone capital appreciation. When you talk about something that sounds like there's an impact because people still have kind of a bifurcated perception of investments. Either I'm doing good or I'm making money. And there isn't a blended approach, both for individuals, for companies, Companies do this as well. And I would say foundations, institutions, and even philanthropy has trouble kind of having this duality and making progress in both ends. I also think that, so that's one, is people assume when you talk about underrepresented, they assume impact. I didn't say I'm an impact fund. Our portfolio companies are not creating impact products. I would think in order to be an impact fund, the underlying companies need to be creating products that are having an impact. That's not it. Our companies are for-profit companies. So there is that fuzziness. Another thing that you want to go there and take some risk, many institutions. So for a first fund, the median should be 25 million, right? Most underrepresented founders are not raising a $25 million fund. Many are lucky to have the first close happen with more than a million or two. 
So let alone get to 25 million. Like there's a huge gap if you don't think you can close on your first 2 million and hitting 25 million. Part of it is that the funds that raise 25 million have anchors, have institutional anchors. So then you need institutionals fund of funds and investment professionals to see a new emerging manager, often without a classic track record, to be their anchor. And an anchor check for a $25 million fund should be at least 10% of the fund. So at least two and a half million. But likely you'd want a $5 million anchor of a $25 million fund. So you're a fund manager of color and you need someone to write your first $5 million check. And institutional partners at this point have separate programs. So they have their entire portfolio that they're, they're selecting external managers. And then they have a program over here called diverse and emerging managers. And that is a fraction of their overall portfolio. And even in that fraction bucket, what they're looking for, and they will tell you this is a fund two or fund three. So again, how does that, I'm on my fund one. So you want fund two and fund three, and they want you to also have three to four funds that you've been a part of and have a track record at those premier, premier. I mean, we're talking about a select handful of funds, a track record that you can carry over and leave that fund and start your own fund. So you're saying you would be the only black or Latinx principal at a top VC firm. Like the universe of people who have that background is tiny. So we're constantly where these institutional fund of fund managers are looking for unicorns and then have these tiny budgets and everyone else, good luck. You're a badass. I love this. You're like, it's like, I'm making sure my daughter watches this one. It's like, it's like, I'm seeing you and I see the fire and I'm like, my daughter has it too. I just want her to learn. This is what you need to look like. Yeah. <laughs> Potential. Like, this is kind of like, this is the same thing, right? And, and I'll tell you, I like to be this binary person. I, I like to simplify things in my mind. Like, kind of like, that's probably why people do that, right? It's either I'm making money or I'm doing good, right? And, 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 and that is, it's good. We need to understand the psychology of how people think, right? And so I think also, tell me about this stat that you were saying, right? That you, you just yeah. blew me away. Because we talk about, you just gave me different spins on the data that everybody just repeats over and over and over. Like, everybody's just like 2%, 2%, 2%, right? You gave me a much better one. You said one that I'm learning, right? Is 70% are women and people of color, underrepresented, blah, blah, blah. 70% of the United States. <laughs> and they only get 10% combined of all the investment. Wow, right? So let's pause on that one. The other one you told me is that there's what? 25,000, that one. Tell me that one. Yeah, so according to Crunchbase, there are 25,000 venture capital firms globally, okay? So that's if no one else is starting a firm right now. If you look for how many Latinx-led VC firms exist, the list gets to about 50. And that is, I said globally because yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, you also have to include LATAM funds. Yeah, okay? let's, let's include everything. Yeah, so if we have about 50 firms, to get to 2%, 
and there were no other firms created, we need 511 firms. So we need to 10x the number of Latinx-led VC firms to get to 2% of all venture capital firms. And that's not even counting the amount of money, right? That's just the unit, right? That's the number of check writers. You're like, you're, you're getting, I'm getting you going. You're like, so that, that brings me to my, my way of thinking. I met a very, very, very influential Latino leader here in Boston. And at the beginning of Drift, I woke up, right, to realize that I was like, look like this, right? And, and, and I was like, because I was kind of blind to it. I was just like working, right? I was just working with David, like in tech, HubSpot, this starting companies, fundraising. I just didn't even know what I looked like, right? I was just like, whatever. Busy. In Boston, I was busy. And then I realized, holy shit, look what I look like. And there's nobody else that looks like me. And so I, I started kind of reacquainting myself with my identity and my culture and figure out what was my responsibility, right? And I kind of got a little distracted and I was like, what should I do? For example, should I start Drift and only hire Latinos? I could go overboard. I have the access and I could, I could do what I want. I'm the founder of the company, right? And just on purpose, be like, create something that no one has ever seen, right? And that was, I have that approach, which I think maps to the approach of let's just 10x the number of Latinx funds, right? Or 100x it, right? And just have a whole bunch, right? And so it's yes. like, do that. One aspect of it. Or the other is the advice I was given is, at least the alternative is that we don't even have people that look like you just as a plain founder or the capital or the record or the success or the story. It's so like, you also have to focus on that. Mm-hmm. It's just like, do you put, you know, like in the airplane, like do you put the mask on the, on the child first or do you put yourself there? I mean, and, and we, so this, this dichotomy is this dilemma, right? This, this huge paradox of like, Wow, like should I and so and so this you know and so you can tell what I chose, right? I chose to say I said the advice that was given is like Elias, you have to succeed. We need you because this is a complex pipeline and flow and we need to do it. And so I chose that, right? And so I kind of bring that now to this question to you on the hmm. we need 10x that or we need to make sure that the ones that we have break through and, you know, to, to into space. Yes. I believe, because I know this to be true, there's a lot of money out there. I also think because of literally my own composition that you can do both end. I do think that you need to make sure that those that exist have track records that are enviable so that there's less risk perceived with making these investments. And the way that you gain credibility in investments is with a track record. And I am confident that underrepresented fund managers have a lot to prove. Um, And so that we'll, you know, scared money doesn't make money and resource constrained money doesn't make money. So I hopefully, I can only speak for my firm that we're making decisions to grow boldly and we're making decisions that other firms, you know, we don't think are in a position to make. We're a team of 17, which punches way above our weight class for the size of fund that we have. But that's what we think we need 
to do to provide the concierge services that founders and entrepreneurs need at the earliest stages to be successful. So that's an example of a bold decision to make sure that we have a chance to have an enviable track record. But the problem with venture capital is it takes so long to know if you're doing a good job. And right. there's so many ways. It takes seven to 10 years until before you have liquidity events. We're starting with pre-seed companies. They have to get to series C and above, you know, to really prove, you know, both graduation rates that are successful yeah. from seed, yeah. seed series A, et cetera. The other thing is that this job is is not easy and people don't understand. I think people think that venture capitalists are, you know, playing golf or in a helicopter, you know, making it rain. And it's like you're sourcing, you're working with lawyers, you're evaluating, you're working with your existing portfolio, you're doing many, many tasks. And Ultimately, hopefully, you know, you're raising your next fund. Um, one of the things that I've learned is, you know, how do you have a brand with your investors and make sure that your brand with your founders is different? So there's so many facets of the job that can almost like, how do I know what's my best return on time to make sure I have the best return on money? And it's going to take a long time to figure it out. But to, I think to answer your question is, I've never been the person who says that you can only choose one. I'm the person that says you have to try to on um, have a backup plan. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, oh, but back, a backup plan, then you're aligning with me. Like you have to have a focus, right? And you have to pick one over the other. Right? And so what mentors are telling me is like, Elias, as you're stepping up, you have to be with your hands stretched out and helping, right? You can't. Yeah. And yeah, and I also think to your point, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this and, and have a DEI mandate, and you just talked about this, is I think companies that start with diverse leadership are wired differently. And everyone spends so much time talking about rewiring the existing tech companies and helping them be better at serving the lonely leaders of color that exist in their firms. And my answer to that is you can have a seat at the table that you're trying to rewire the whole time, or you can create your own table. And I want to help create the next generation of tech companies that are born with diverse leaders like yourself who can make decisions and create opportunities. And Elias, I'm sure your team page looks nothing like any other team page in tech. <laughs> and even with the team that, that you're building today, as you're thinking about how to construct it, because you're being even more intentional than others are. Other leaders say they're going to solve it after. You know, when is after? It's completely different, right? When the founders are diverse, right? They come from underrepresented, come from poverty, right? It's like people ask me like, Elias, what is your framework for diversity or for equity? And I'm like, I don't need a framework. It's just common sense. People want to measure everything by numbers, but they don't understand the impact and how long it's going to take to rewire. Because I am rewiring people for the future, right? In many ways, I'm rewiring everybody just to see that. But we have to say, tell these stories so people understand what a Latino leader can do with someone that understands unfairness and inequity, how we go about thinking of the decisions. Because... We've been managed by the invisible hand in the past, and we know how that feels, right? And so now we're like, I don't want the invisible hand. I want to show you the visible hand. Right. 
and, and like this is how it gets done. And, and people think like, wait, wait. So I love the name. Well, I want to have so many more conversations. We will definitely be in community. Uh, I want to learn more from you because it is a hard problem. And we're not going to solve it today, but it's like we have to do both. I send you this article that I just got this morning. Somebody sent me. It's called They Have Shatter Barriers. On Wall Street, the new biggest private equity firms are run by black and Latino billionaires and people of color. I need you to read it and tell me what you think. You know, you know who I'm talking about, right? Yes, I do. <laughs> Jose Feliciano and Robert Smith. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're talking about, so I'll send you the article. There's a lot of stuff to digest here. Orlando Bravo, you know, Jose, Ramsey, Musalem, Adebayo, right? Let's yeah. see. It's like, this is kind of like my thing here of like, do we create 25,000? Do, do we create 250? Do we create 2,500 yeah. Latino black? Or do we, we need more of this. These guys here are like, shatter the barriers, right? Yeah. The question is, I'm just coming into the view, into the lens. I was in the lens of like, I just build things and I have to get customers, fundraise, give me money. You know, now I'm just like, wow, that's what it looks like over there. That's what the VCs really look like. This is what the PE looks like. And I'm like... Yeah. Those I have now those role models and, and I'm saying, how do I participate? What is the community? How do we develop more that at some point, not everybody's going to get to that. We get more people in that for generations to come. Yeah. And for example, Jose is a part of the group that's deciding what happens with part of Stanford's endowment. Right. Stanford's very sizable endowment. So that's another way that you know, that influence could lead to Stanford's portfolio, you know, investing in a different set of managers. Yeah. But I want to make sure, you know, before we wrap up that I talk about what Visible Hands does on the day-to-day basis. I thought you were going to ask me to give the elevator pitch. So I was ready to make sure that everyone understands. But since I'm not going to have to do it being put on the spot, I'll put myself on the spot to make sure that that is known. So what we do on a day-to-day basis outside of, you know, the fund manager hat that I wear. So what does this mean for our founders, underrepresented founders at the earliest stage? We focus on their company building and we provide meaningful funding that's up to 175K per company, personalized support. We meet weekly with the founders during that 14 week period, help them achieve their goal. That could be recruiting another founder and or it could be hiring an engineer or it could be becoming investment ready. And then we also provide them access to our network and that includes industry leading advisors. It includes their peer to peer support and potential early hires. And all of those facets come together to help founders build exceptional technology startups. Amazing. Amazing. So you're going to be the underrepresented YC? We are going to be visible hands. There are things that YC does well, and I tell people, don't try to recreate what YC does, let YC do it. But there is a lane in this whole ecosystem where you 
are looking for support that understands how lonely it has been in your career or what a maverick you've been. And you want to look to your right and your left and see dope people who understand your experience. I'm not sure where in the current landscape that existed. We didn't think it did. And that's why we started Visible Hands. Absolutely. You know, and when I say the YC comment, it's just like my experience is like I have to, the way I operate, and I've learned that this from David, is that I'm going to compare myself to the top in the world. Exactly. And so, and so I'm saying, so, so it's like, so like I have to have a Roma, I have to have an inspiration. I cannot just compare myself. It's, it's like a, it's a duality. I'm a straddler, right? And I have to converge those two things at once. I want to be like, Whatever category I am, I want to be the best in the world. I want to look like that one, period. And yeah. then at the same time, I'm going to look like myself and I'm going to be different because I have to in order to never neglect who I am. Right? And so that's the way I think about it. It's not like I'm yeah. trying to morph you into YC, right? Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of respect for what they've created, but I think there's also room for what we're creating and what we're creating is different. And to thine own self be true. And I used to be a marathon runner. I'm not anymore after I've had my daughter, but run your own race. So invisible hands, we're running our own race. And I think we're creating a multi-generational firm, a franchise that will have a brand that stands out and will make enormous contributions. So tell me a little bit about a couple more specifics. You're going to have 14 week program. So that means that you are building the cohort of companies that are going to go into it. It's so like you're not, are you like you're in application mode or do you already have the companies? How does it work? Yeah. So our first cohort, we had 911 applicants and we chose 51. This is women and people of color building tech companies. And I want to focus on a stat for Latinx founders. So Even when you think about the universes of all businesses, including small businesses, we focus on high growth venture backable businesses, but for American, for broadly, for white Americans, 14% of all businesses are technology companies. Did you know, Elias, that 19% of Latinx companies are technology companies? That we are disproportionately technologists. Did you know that? Because I say that because people think like the pipeline didn't exist. And if I told people, no, actually, for example, Latinx companies are disproportionately technology, people don't believe it because people always hear that we need to invest in underrepresented founders because they're consumers and that they have buying power. But I also want people to start thinking about Black women, Latinx leaders who are producers, who are creating white space, who are creating technology. So that isn't even to this point included in the market that exists. So yes, we had 911 qualified leaders, entrepreneurs who wanted to partner with us to build their company. From Boston or from everywhere? No, across the country. And this past, we just closed the application in May. We had, our deal flow is up 55%. We have to choose 35 out of 1,418 applicants. Congrats. This is the message that we want to share. Like people go, 
oh, I don't, I can't find you know entrepreneurs. I can't find entrepreneurs of color. I can't find entrepreneur women. You have them. Do you know what I hear when I hear that? I love my husband. But it's like when he opens the refrigerator, he can't find something. Look harder. I can go. Don't make me walk up to the refrigerator and find it. That's exactly what I hear that because I want everyone to look harder because they are right in front of your face. We choose not to see it. We choose not to see it. There's no better analogy you can give a man. And I will just take that gender stereotype all day. I, I I've been there many, many, many times in front of that fridge. The jam is staring at me like this. It's like I'm like face to face with it. And I'm like, Alejandra, where's my jam? And she's like, look, it's right there. The answer is to look harder. Look. The words I get, the one word commands I get from my wire, look and listen. Listen. Look. So with that, that's the work that men have in front of them. I thank you so much for what you're doing. I respect so much what you're doing. It's something that I'm I'm thinking about day and night, right? About a struggle. I'll drop them. I'll drop the, the mic with this question. It's like what I hear is that the black community is way more unified mm-hmm. in how they're going about this. And Robert Smith is one of the key leaders, right? And that Latinos, we are we're fragmented, right? And, and and we have many different identities. We have different communities, different ethnicities, and people don't understand that, right? And so many races. And we need to come together, right? And so I would like to accept, you know, have a different conversation. That's kind of what I, I've been thinking this week. You know, I was, I, was, I, was, I was talking to someone because we need to help. This is going to, we are, I, my belief is like, we're going to get some help from the invisible hand, but we're going to have to do the work ourselves. Yeah, and I'd love to have that conversation with you because being both Black and Latinx, I've been a part of both communities and ecosystems and in certain rooms. Um, So I've been a part of both. And there is a difference in style and progress. And I will have to say, unfortunately, I do believe that the Latinx community, it's not the Oppression Olympics. But we are coming from behind, and there's a lot more progress to make. Both communities are, you know, generations away from where we need to be, but there, yes, many. But if you were to compare the two, I have seen noticeable differences identifying with both. I will say that one last thing that I do want to offer is I do think that even, you know, bigger companies, we're partnering with Google on VH Latinx are also seeing this. And I'm excited to see companies Companies who are acknowledging that there's a lot of progress that does need to be made on the Latinx side and people are willing to be intentional about it. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of stuff that I want to, I'm starting to identify, right? And name so I can get to know yes. and educate myself more, which is like, you know, Latinos' ability to ask for help, right? And be able to, uh, Latinos to ask. Right, is to say, I want ten million dollars. I want twenty-five million dollars. I want a hundred million dollars. Right, and, and and so forth. So there's there's a lot of stuff that we that we are behind. We are into a new culture. We're into a new times. I want to expose 
you know, how that person goes to Stanford and asks for money versus how we can go, like how we should go to Stanford and ask for money, right? And, and so forth. And, and if we get rejected, so what? But you asked, how many times did you ask to get your fund closed? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I had 410 meetings and 65 LPs <laughs> said yes. So that that's, <laughs> you do the math. Yeah. No, but that's 65 out of 410. That's still, you're amazing, right? It's Thank like... You. To get that many yeses, like I would expect, like you know, ten x, you know, notes, right? But uh, you, <laughs> well, you, to even have four hundred and ten meetings with accredited investors is a privilege, and I want to just acknowledge that. Yeah, that no, to be able to have a network to produce that is a tremendous privilege in and of itself. Congrats! I'm really proud of you. Thank you. It's my honor, and I, I feel like I was able to overcome my nerve nervousness of interviewing you because you're amazing and lay back and give me space and reprimand me when I'm not looking or listening. I'm used to it. Hopefully not too feisty. No, I'm, I'm used to it. So that's not a problem. I, 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 I welcome the spice and the feistiness because it's my culture and I love it and I appreciate it. This is the space for it. Perfect. It's been an honor. Thank you so much. And I hope people can really pay attention because there's some of the stuff, some of the topics that we're breaking into this year are really important. And this is a discussion we have to do. But what most important is that you're getting shit done and you start it, you close your fund, you already have your cohort and you got you on to the next one. Congrats. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the American Dream Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe so you never miss when a new episode drops. If you like this episode, please leave a six-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're interested in learning more about my American Dream mission, subscribe to my newsletter linked in the show notes.